welcome to the KitCast podcast. Three middle-aged Asian men from the North give their view on the hot topics of the week and much more besides. Enjoy. Hi everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the KitCast podcast. It has been a while but we're all back. Imi, Carver, how are you boys? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. I thought that uh, you know it's been a while since we had our um, latest uh, get together and latest uh, podcast. So I thought now is a great time to get together, seeing as it's coming up to the end of the year. That's all your fault. You know that, don't you? Why is it my fault, Timmy? Um, you know, you're like a, a jilted lover. You know, would call you, would text you, and you know there was nothing until the floozy that you were with. I don't know which podcast it was, and they've you know they split up with you, and now you've come back to. Grass is not always greener. You've just been away messing around with Boohoo and other online companies and left us in the lurch. You mean basically trying to earn a living and put food in my mouth, yeah? Sorry about that, boys. I have given up my business. Since the last time we've been on air, I have actually sold up my my place of work, you know, my business, just to concentrate on this. And we stopped right after that. Maybe that should have told you something. Yeah, so it has been a while. So um, what else have you been up to then, Amy, apart from uh, sacrificing your uh, livelihood? I actually have uh, spent way too much time sat on the sofa watching TV. And because of that, I started up a little like Instagram page where I'm just reviewing uh, TV shows and movies. And It's always an interesting read that is, isn't it, Amy? Your reviews. It, it's it's my passion. How dare you, how dare you besmirch my passion? I know, listen, this is this is the idea that I had. I was going to do like a trip all up and down England just to find the best Donna Kebab place. In the middle of lockdown? <laughs> because the takeaways are still open. The schools are shut, everything else is shut, but the takeaways are open. Carver, what have you been up to for the last few weeks, months? Flipping, working, we're back at school, aren't we? And the government's not letting us out. The government have given you way too much leeway already. You know that. You've had... In the last what's in the last forty weeks, you've had forty-two weeks of holidays. But we can't help it if there's a global pandemic going on. I'm in a petri dish. I interact with up to one hundred and fifty different students a day, and they're from Accrington. <laughs> they don't clean at the best of times. I'll be honest with you, though. Yeah, I stand at a door, and every child walks in, got to stick their hands out like Oliver, and I squirt hand sanitizer into it. Please, sir. No. And then at the end of the lessons. I've got to go around with a disinfectant spray and disinfect every single keyboard, every single mouse and every single screen in my room. And that's just the ones that you've touched. Well, I think the uh, COVID may be a good place for us to start because I think that was our first ever um, uh, episode was about the conspiracy theories on COVID-19, wasn't it? Oh, it seems like years ago, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So at that time, I think the uh, the kind of on-trend thing was to suggest that COVID-19 was somehow linked to 5G. I think things have moved on a lot since then, haven't they? So what's your stance on that now, guys? Where are we with COVID? What's your stance with it in terms of... Um... It's not so much the, uh, the COVID itself now. Now the uh, the whole uh, conspiracy theories against uh, the vaccine. And Bill and Melinda Gates have engineered this vaccine. It was already prepped and the Illuminati, blah, blah, blah. The, um, it contains baby fetus. It contains pig fetus. Uh, what, does it pig DNA? Um, don't take it because it'll change your DNA. Don't take it because you'll get uh, autism, ADHD, blah, blah, blah. I can go on for ages. But... What a lot of the conspiracy theorists are saying is in terms of 
the vaccine, how quickly it's actually come to market. You have to look at it from the point of view of purely a business decision. If you're a big pharmaceutical company and there's a global pandemic and everyone needs this cure, of course you're going to chuck every single everything you've got at that because there's trillions of pounds to be made by whoever develops it. And bear in mind that uh, the governments had already pre-booked, uh, pre-booked these doses as well. So they'd fronted the money. It's not like the uh, the companies were putting in their own money. So the governments were putting in the money for them. And that's what these uh, companies are using in order to fund the research. And like Harvard said, if you've got that much will, you're going to get it done within a year. Of course, it's not black people dying of AIDS. That's not any motive for any company to find a vaccine for AIDS. Yeah, it's nice that we haven't missed the whole controversy thing. If people in rich countries who are dying, there's a profit motive there to find a cure. Where there isn't a profit motive, if it's something like AIDS... Do you ever do you ever wonder that? Because, like, uh, cancer research has been going around for about 35, 40, 50 years. How long has it been now? Years. And, okay, fair enough. They have made some advances, some. But in terms of, like, the cure for cancer, you think with the amount of money that's been spent right now, with the amount... Uh, of um, you know attention that it's received, the amount of people that have been working on it, it shouldn't think you know something should have happened by now. But is it inherently different though? Because what we're talking about is a virus here. No, no, I'm just saying though, you know, because it, again, it comes back to that whole profit thing. You know, is there more of a profit in a treatment rather than cure? Prolonging someone's life, all the chemotherapy, all the drugs. There's loads of money to be made out of that. If you could just cure them with an injection, that would kill any profit motive dead wouldn't it is there a thing as well that you know we were just talking about this um earlier off air as well but uh now that uh london's in tier four it's no longer just a disease that's prevalent uh in the north so has that got you know something to do with the fact that there's more of a will now because it's affecting the business center the capital that's it that's where all the money's made you know westeros is falling so uh, they need to uh they need to sort that out quick or else uh, once it starts hitting their, uh, the bank balance, the wallets, the purses, that's when you know they start panicking. Well, it's already hitting the bank balance. So if you look at the way that the recession's gone and we're in the deepest recession that, of any country that's been affected by COVID, which is everyone, of course, they've got, it's a license to print money, literally, quantitative easing and that kind of stuff. So it is affecting the economy as a whole. But I think once people in London and down south and in the southeast start getting infected by it, then the government kick gets a kick up the backside to start doing anything. If North Northerners are dying, they're not really bothered, are they? Again, I don't describe to that <laughs> I'm not gonna be as controversial. I'd like to think that yeah, they would they would give a shit, but in terms of where we are then boys, yeah, you know, um almost a year later or however long it's been it seems that like you know longer than that. We went into lockdown in March, is that right? And that's when we kind of did our first, you know, podcast around that time. Have we really made much progress? Because now we're still in, uh, you know, lockdown. It's now tier four lockdown. If anything, now they're saying that there's new strains of COVID-19 coming out as well. So we're not only fighting the original one, we're now fighting another one. So are we in a worse off situation than we were? I think it's a really bad situation of Boris Johnson's own making because he's just always tried to put a positive spin on everything. So when we first went into lockdown, they were talking about we'll turn the tide in 12 weeks and we'll be out of this and we'll be back to normal in the summer. Now you're talking 10, 11 months later, we're still doing it. You know, Boris Johnson has been 
positive all the way through it. And, you know, he's had a real failure of leadership on his behalf to actually get us out of this crisis. No, 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 come on, that's harsh. No, seriously, because you're, you're, you're screwing up a man there for uh, being positive. You know, his downside is that he's positive. That's insane. OK, fair enough. His timings are wrong. He's um, badly managed expectations. I'll give you that. That's fair enough. But what was he supposed to do? Come on national TV and say, you know what, boys, we're all fucked. It's not going to happen, is it? Well, it can't happen. The stock market's involved. People are being in a panic. If you look at Boris Johnson, he has a record of, if you look, even look at his personal life, he's got a record of running away from taking responsibility for any action that he's done with his kid. He's a leader for a country that's buoyant, that's positive, like when he was the mayor of London during the economic boom. And he's good then because he can present a good line of jokes and keeps people laughing. So you don't have to be serious about it. In this kind of situation, you need a decisive leader, a leader who's of morals, who's got a fortitude, who's got strength of character to be actually go through this. If you look at Boris Johnson, he can't help but to make jokes as he's you know, like little funny comments as he's trying to present a very serious thing. House of Commons, uh, you know, last week when he was questioned about um, the wisdom of letting people meet for five days um, over Christmas. He said, uh, you know, it's fine. Don't, don't you know, concern yourself with that. Everybody go and have a merry little Christmas. And then what, you know, yesterday or the day before, he's had to come on and say, well, actually, guys, um, I know I said that you could, but now you can't. So he just leaves a country that was getting, you know, ready and prepared, you know, mentally and financially to go and, you know, mix with their families at Christmas. And then again, like they did with Eid, with even less notice, They've turned around and said, well, actually, you can't have Christmas anymore. But this is the thing. I mean, just because you've used the Eid example there. So we, he could have actually, the night before, on the 24th, on Christmas Eve, he could have turned around and said, right, okay, listen, Christmas is cancelled. But he didn't. He's tried to hold it off as long as possible. And genuinely, from his point of view, I think he wants the country. Because I think he realises as well the whole thing about mental health and, you know, it, it's good for the country mentally, you know, you know. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. We're talking about Imran is fa is failure after failure. We had a failure to go into lockdown quick enough. We had the supply failures right at the start of the pandemic, where doctors, nurses did not have essential equipment. We had the whole debacle of the summer exams. Then we had the care home scandal, people in care homes dying. And then it's kind of going through. We had that atrocious test and trace system that Ireland managed to make for less than two million pounds. And so far we spent thirteen million pounds and not got a functioning test and trace symptom and it's not just about him being positive and him being jokey we're talking about a man who's just not equipped to lead in a crisis okay let's start with the first one the uh, going into lockdown late he went off the advice of his uh, science uh, advisors and ministers who all said at the time that uh, herd immunity herd immunity do that you'll be okay that's what he went with until the numbers went too high and he thought fuck that in fact if anything that's a show of leadership He's gone against his scientific advisors at the time and said, listen, you know what? We need to we need to lock down. So that's a show of leadership. I think we'd be right at the beginning. They went for herd immunity and he goes, all right, let's go with that until the numbers went too high. And that's when these uh, scientific advisors said, oh, shit, you know, we're not really sure. And he says, right, screw it. Let's uh, lock the country down. Right, so, is it, so that was his first of many U-turns. Well, listen, you can't have it both ways. You can't have uh, the Prime Minister relying. He's not a scientist, so he's relying on the people with the facts, with the data. They're telling him stuff, and if they're changing their position, 
then that's not his fault. So since then, okay, give him let's give him credit that he didn't listen to he listened to his scientific advisors and then he thought, right, okay, the numbers have gone too high, so we're gonna go into a national lockdown. So once he's gone into that national lockdown, he's decided, yeah, this is a serious pandemic that we need to take seriously. What's he done right since then? You can't view it from that perspective. And I'll tell you why. No, no, I'll tell you, no, no, I'll tell you why. Because this is the first time this has ever happened. So people are searching in the dark. How come the other countries that are searching in the dark, they're doing so much better than us? The only one that I can think of at the top of my mind is New Zealand. Deaths per 100,000 over the course of the pandemic up until last week, yeah? Per 100,000 people, Germany are 20% lower than us. The only two countries in the world that are worse than the UK are Italy and Spain. Rather than the facts and the figures, guys, yeah, because you know we can all kind of interpret that uh, you know, data. I kind of want to get your views on it, because right at the start, there was this whole thing about, is this a real virus, or is it actually in our communities, or whatever. So now that we've had, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten months, yeah, how has it kind of affected you personally? Do we actually know people who have passed away from the virus itself? You know, maybe talk about our own kind of um, individual experiences. You mean I know that you've you've lost a couple of people. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, not just over here, but over in Pakistan as well. So, uh, I mean, we've we've had quite a few people that have passed on uh, recently as well. Um, in the last two three weeks, uh, we've had uh, a couple of people. Uh, that have passed on family members, uh, well, distant family members. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. It is. Um, you can't really put it into words. You try and do the best you can in terms of social distancing, in terms of washing hands, and all the rest of it. But somehow, it'll you know it'll get within the family unit. And some of these people already had underlying conditions. And when you've got three, four, five. Uh, three or four generations of people living in one house, there's going to be problems. I mean, on the reverse side of that as such, uh, my family, quite a few of them have tested positive for COVID as well. Let me just give the example of my dad here. Um, he's about 86. He's got loads of underlying conditions. Uh, he actually tested positive for COVID. And you know what? He was absolutely fine. Uh, he was at the most high-risk group. Uh, we were all kind of told that if he gets it, that's probably going to be the end of things and whatever. And you know what? He's, he's come through it unscathed. And I know that that's only one example. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that has the effects of this been overestimated? Have we, or has the media, has the government rammed it down our throats so much for something that's probably a little bit, you know, it's no more than a normal flu vaccine? I don't think it's been overstated in any way, shape or form. In my immediate family, no one's even been infected yet. And, you know, you talk about, from your experiences, I hear that a few members of your family got tested positive at the same time. you got Imran's experience where members of the extended families have died. And I think that's it. It's, everyone's experience is slightly different, depending a lot on the size of your family, especially if you're within the Asian community and how, how often you socialise and meet up with your family. I think also... Is there not an argument that uh, says that the way that they classify deaths that are down to COVID, is that not problematic as well? Because isn't there something along the lines of if you die and have, have tested positive in the last, what, 38 days, 28 days, something like that? Buy a bus and, uh, you know, as long as you've had COVID in the last 28 days, then it's a COVID death. I think it's a bit of a myth that you can get hit by a bus 
I think that's a myth. I think what they look at is the people who've been infected with COVID and anyone who dies within 28 days of a cause that could be linked to COVID. So if it's something really unnatural, like a murder or an accidental death, something like that, that doesn't count. And I think you know, you can, you can be a bit sceptical and say, oh, they're overstating this. But then I would think, why would the government ever want to manufacture something like this? Because all it's doing is hurting the economy and it's hurting the gov- people's perception of the performance of the government. This is the bit I don't understand as well. You know, when people say that maybe it's uh, been blown out of uh, proportion, you think to yourself, well, why would the government do that when it's costing billions in terms of just the, the borrowing that they're doing to fund furlough, to fund all the uh, the PPE to fund everything, you know, it's costing billions. There, it's it's killing the economy. So it wouldn't make any sense for the government to carry this on if it's wrecking the economy that much. Well, do you always get the idiots who go, oh, "It's the new world order. It's a new world order." <laughs> well, actually, if you think about the new world order, which people think is some uh, massive uh, government that's going to rule over the world, that's going to be a single economy. Well, as every government goes into recession, it means that people are going to turn to protectionism. They're not going to want to trade with other companies. They're going to want to stimulate their own economies. The only way to stimulate your own economy is by trading with others. Well, no. You look at Brexit and the way the British think that we're going to stimulate our own economy is going to World Trade Organization rules where we trade with others, but we stick a tariff on everything. And that's going to stimulate the British economy because uh, goods from uh, abroad are going to be more expensive. Yeah, and talking about uh, Brexit as well, that's the other uh, conspiracy theory, if you like, that this whole thing has been blown out of proportion to create this in a smoke screen. So when we do come out of Europe, you know, officially, all the current uh, talks that are you know going on for a deal, no deal, exit, whatever, it was it was to kind of mask this because this is really the huge you know subject of our times. Because of COVID, it's getting pushed um, out, you know, almost to the periphery. The impact on the economy means that we'll never really know the impact of Brexit on the economy. How bad was it going to be? Because the government can't turn around and say, well, it's, it's the COVID recession rather than it's the Brexit recession. The other thing with COVID as well is, uh, boys, you kind of, where are you, you know, with it now? I'm kind of a bit just kind of apathetic to it all a little bit now. I know that's a bit of a sad kind of um, indictment on me. But now I've started to just switch off. You know, honestly, I have. And it's that, you know, call, call it COVID fatigue or just call it fatalism or, you know, whatever. So do you think that's an issue, you know, especially within our, you know, communities, you know, complacency and apathy? I think it's a massive issue, complacency, but it's not just within our community. I think everyone is fed up of it. And you saw with them scenes in London with all them people getting on the train, how many of them were really bothered about social distancing? And even then, you had these big train companies that let everyone on. They didn't even limit their ticket sales. So even businesses weren't really following COVID-safe rules because if they'd done that in a football stadium where they let all the, everyone who turned up in, there would be no pro. So I think... It's not just our communities. Everyone is tired on it. Me as a teacher, it's part of my day-to-day thing that I've got to plan around COVID. But it's a bullying, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is a pain in the backside. And, you know, a lot of teachers, I think, between us three, are going way overboard with how tired they are. (laughs) Yeah, I'm tired, but I'm... You scab! (laughs) But I'm not that tired. There's a lot of teachers are going around saying... uh, And I can understand deputy head teachers, head teachers, they're going to be tired because they're the ones who have to implement whatever the dfe says but in schools and even with the kids they're kind of like just it's become second nature to them yeah you get a couple of people they've adapted quite well yeah they've adapted quite well you always get some kids just like in any 
community, people who won't wear the mask, kids who won't wear the mask. Oh, you put your mask up, they put their mask up. It's just people just now in schools are shrugging and getting on with it. You get the people who complain a lot, like teachers complain a lot, and they seem to get all the media attention. Unless I'm a freak and I'm not as tired as other teachers, which makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong. But it's like, you know, almost, there was a bit of a honeymoon period with COVID, wasn't there? And I'm just thinking back to our own experiences. When it first happened, you know, it was in the summer, the sun was out, you know, there were long days, people had been furloughed, the self-employed people, you know, got the grants. And even, you know, when you think about it, Carver, we used to go for those, you know, long walks in the park and stuff. And there was a certain element of, oh, you know what, it's kind of all right, isn't it? It was almost the best summer of our lives. I loved it. So did I. I loved I loved going for long walks. I loved chilling out. We're getting up in the morning. It was brilliant. This fucking lockdown, though. <laughs> this is the thing. As soon as it gets back to spring, you'll want the lockdown just so you can go out for those walks and, uh, you know, just chill out and be able to meet people in the park, even though you're not meant to be allowed to. But uh, so, you know, I think the weather has a massive part to play in it. As soon as the weather gets better, People say, lockdown, bring it on. Yeah, but what we're saying, though, is by the time it gets to summer, the country is going to be in such a bad state because we can't afford, you know, financially to go through the next five, six months, you know, with the current kind of uh, lockdown, can we? So what kind of country are we going to be in in six months' time? Well, furlough's been extended until the end of April, isn't it? So that's your cut-off point. Yeah, that's a cut-off point. But remember, we had a cut-off point in July as well. That's true. And then it was September, then December, then March... You'd hope they could get everyone vaccinated in the first four or five months of the year, and then they can look towards going back to normality. Because I think the generosity or furlough scheme and all these stimulus packages that are happening, they're going to stop sooner or later. I genuinely um, can't understand how the government is funding this. I mean, all the borrowing, but the borrowing through the nose. Now, as soon as interest rates start climbing, holy shit, we're going to be over a barrel. Don't this government... Conservatives, I remember even Boris Johnson has always been an arch libertarian. The government should not be involved in anything. So this goes totally against the grain of what they believe in. Exactly. And this is another reason why you need to high five that guy and not, you know, rip him to shreds like this, because he's gone above and beyond anything that he could have done in terms of economic support for the people of this country. But above and beyond who? What were the other parties suggesting? Well, no, I think it's the best that they wanted to provide, but they could have gone a lot further. Let's face it, we've had footballers running campaigns to feed kids. Yeah, that's a bit that doesn't stick well with me. You know, it um, it shouldn't have to come to national outcries like that for uh, Boris to put his hand in his pocket. He needed that twice. Let's face it, we've had an old man walking up and down his garden to try and raise £30 million for charity. Now he's doing it again, isn't he, poor fella? So, so is the solution in the short term, if you like, you know, we can talk about the economics of it, but to get this mass, uh, you know, vaccination program uh, rolled out. But until it becomes compulsory, you're still looking at a massive portion of the population who aren't going to take it, aren't you? Those people who do not take vaccinations, it's the theory of evolution in practice. <laughs> Only the strongest survive. That does not mean physically strongest. It means mentally strongest as well. And if you're the kind of idiot who believes that all oh, vaccines are bad or they've got microchips in them, why do you tweeting on your flipping iPhone and your Android phone, yeah, then quite frankly, one one less of you in the world to worry about. Right. Um, take yourself um, out of the equation. So think about, uh, Carl, you think about your mum, you, you know, you think about your dad, yeah? If if the vaccination was offered to them now... Dad wouldn't take it, I'll tell you now. But, uh, I mean, as much as I force him, as much as I tell him, listen, you need to take this, he would be dead against it. And for the life of me, 
I can't think why. I mean, well, I can't can think why. He's just very obstinate in that situation. You know, he'd say, no, I don't need it. Or no, it's not going to do me any good. Uh, I'm not going to have it. And Well, that's that's what I perceive. He could completely flummox me and say, you know what, bring it on. In fact, give me two doses. I would say to my mum, yeah, it's best for you that you take it. And I, I'd, I'd force her as much as I could to take it. Because at the end of the day, do you know something? You can be a bit cynical about vaccines and you could be cynical about how come they've done it so quickly. It's, it's a choice between maybe getting COVID and maybe maybe having a chance of dying if you're of a certain age and you've got certain pre-existing conditions or you're certain backgrounds. So if there's that risk and there's a free vaccine there that someone's giving to you, then why not take it? And don't then people shrug their shoulders and say it's God's will, Allah, mercy and that kind of stuff. Well, no, God or Allah or whoever has given you a vaccine. There was this, uh, there was this idea that um, only those that had the vaccine would be allowed to travel or would be allowed to get on public transport or do this or do that or, you know, not have to adhere to lockdown if there was another lockdown. I mean, what's up on that? Is that it's not creating a two, you know, like a second class citizen in effect? Well, if that citizen hasn't got a vaccine and they're going to be at greater risk of getting themselves infected from it, then aren't you actually protecting them if you take away some of their rights? No, no, but I mean, well, that's their choice to make, isn't it? If the person that's already got the vaccine, he's out and about and he's mingling with others, he should be okay or he or she should be okay, shouldn't they? So the ones that haven't taken the vaccine, it's their choice, let them. So let them travel if they want. Given that freedom of choice to take it or the freedom of choice not to take it and then to know you're not going to be treated uh, uh, you know, differently no matter what your choice is. But as Carver says, if we don't take steps to make sure that the majority of the population has been uh, vaccinated, we're never going to move on from the situation, are we? There are some issues with the way the vaccine has been done. So, you know, this whole thing about them being granted indemnity from uh, being sued later on, uh, that kind of stuff, you think, yeah, it's a bit dodge. There hasn't been quite as much transparency as you would like in terms of their testing data. But then again, that comes under uh, intellectual property for businesses so you can see them have a business case for doing that for saying we do not want to share this data with anyone apart from the authorities and you can see why people are a bit skeptical of it and you know but i think it all feeds into that a lot of people spending a lot of disinformation about this do you see that video of the asian bloke outside the vaccination center did you see how much crap he came out with over five minutes no hold on i thought he was quite eloquent i'm not even taking the piss i think you know he put his case uh, forward uh, quite uh, succinctly and this is exactly no, no, no. This, is, this is the point that i'm making though you know he has an opinion okay now he was wrong he was massively wrong. His information was wrong. This is you're you're living in the age of misinformation, though. This is the thing. I could bring up two web pages right now regarding exactly the same topic. One could say one thing, the other one could be diametrically opposed. You know, it's up to you what to believe. Why? He, that man's an idiot. That man is just fucking spouting crap. And the worst thing is, he was putting people off being vaccinated. He was being quite aggressive outside that place. Oh, brother, you're not Muslim, brother, you're not Muslim. Well, fuck off. Who died and made you lie, Tola? But isn't there, you know, something? I mean, I don't. Uh, agree with what he said, but I kind of admire the fact that he believes something so strongly that he can tell them there's people in my community that haven't had the full um, information that they need to make the decision. So he's actually got up his ass and he's actually gone to do something about it. That part of it, I kind of admire because a lot of us 
we'll have our beliefs and we'll just keep them to ourselves. Don't we have a duty to try and engage people? What was the main thrust of his point? It was the fact that this virus, this uh, vaccine has come out in one year and it normally takes about 10 years to make a vaccine. Now, is that such an implausible point? Dangerous, Imran. Even if one person who's vulnerable listens to this idiot and goes, he's gone out there and he must be feeling strongly about this and he must know something about it and does not take the vaccine, that person gets the infection and may get suffer quite badly in worst case scenario, may actually die, then that stupid fucker has killed someone. Isn't it? You know, with the whole, you know, COVID thing, it just proves that we haven't really you know, moved on. The same kind of arguments are still there and now they're surrounding uh, the vaccine as well. But obviously, that's not the only thing that's happened, guys, you know, this year. So maybe we try and focus on something else um what else has uh, kind of uh, made your blood boil in the last year really? you think about mentioning your tin pot club and winning the premium i swear i will switch to this computer off right now we, we do have to give it an honorary mention i think for both me and zai quite an emotional and quite a longer way today that's all we're going to say on it amy because we know it causes you great pain especially where you and your club are at the moment. And exactly, we're, we're closer to relegation than we are to the Champions League. We're closer to relegation than we are to halfway, I think. Talking about that, boys, yeah, um, kind of, you know, linked to the football thing. I just want to touch on the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, yeah? And we're still getting the footballers obviously taking a knee for um, eight seconds. And I believe a couple of days ago, uh, the PFA, or you know, it might have been the FA, actually, sent out a questionnaire to uh, the footballers to ask whether... They still, you know, wanted to do it because uh, obviously there has been quite a bit of uh, opposition to it. I think it was a Champions League game, Man City and Marseille might have been, where the Marseille players didn't actually take the knee. So where are we, you know, with that specific point? Do you still think, you know, footballers should actually take the knee? Has it just become... They've, they've carried it on for a bit too long now. Fair enough. OK, you wanted to make a statement. You've made a statement, you know, and uh, all the... The TV networks, the media, everybody jumped on the whole thing. You know, Instagram got onto it, cover your thing black and for the whole day. Everyone's been doing the knee. Okay, fine, we get it. Now let's move on. Oh, may, okay, right, listen, this, stop, stop, stop. I just need to explain myself that I don't mean to make that sound as racist as it might have done. What I'm saying is that we understand that there was a problem, or there is a problem. We understand that we all need to take steps in order to change ourselves. But having to take the knee, it's it's pandering, isn't it? It's paying lip service to a, an idea. Oh, you have to take the knee. If you don't take the knee, then you're racist. First of all, we need to clear up one thing that I think we may have missed out. There's no compulsion to take the knee. It's an individual choice. This is the thing, though. If you don't take it, you're immediately branded racist. Well, you're not, because there's teams, as I mentioned, the Marseille match, the Marseille team did not take the knee. Taking the knee may have become a bit tokenistic, and some of the message may have been lost. But if there's still people out there who are booing when players choose to take the knees, then yeah, take the knee. If it's going to, if people are against it enough to boo while people do it for five seconds at the start of match, if that, because this will use you a couple of seconds, then keep doing it. No, but that's antagonistic and then that's counterproductive then, isn't it? That's no point in doing it then. No, it's not because it still acknowledges that football has got a massive problem with racism. No, but you're trying to send out the message that we're taking the knee in order to promote better race relations. And if your fans, the white fans especially, are booing at this, then that's just going to antagonise them even more. So then after the game, they'll be walking down the street, they'll see another black guy or an Asian, and then what's going to happen? There's going to be a kickoff. So we do not we do not protest against racism in case how is the racism? The thing is we've done it as long as we can 
Okay, let's move on. You know, you know the Millwall fans that booed um, the players for taking a knee. If they'd done that in the first couple of weeks, there would have been outrage. They've done this now, and what? This was the first time there was a crowd out a Millwall game and kids uh, when the players are taking the knees. And the crowd booed, which is par for the course for Millwall. When the crowds came back, I thought that at least 40 or 50% of the grounds, there would be some kind of booing. But as far as I know, it was only the Millwall fans, wasn't it? And Colchester. Where is Colchester? Essex way, isn't it? Exactly. Essex and Millwall. And then, to be fair, at the next you know, Millwall game, they all uh, actually um, applauded it, didn't they? So maybe you, know, you could say that, it is a conversation, and okay, it's only for eight seconds, and is uh, you know, talking its thing, but at least it's still there, and people are having to talk about it. And wasn't that the whole point of it to keep um, race relations? And if you look at the Millwall example, the players took the knees. Some of the crowd reacted by booing, and that led to the club actually releasing a statement indicting their own fans and condemning their own fans for doing that, which is surely a positive step that Millwall FC have taken. I mean, if you're going to be a cynic about it, you'd say that, well, they'd have to diet the fans and, you know, um, single out the fans for doing such a bad thing because if they hadn't done... Is that better than doing nothing? No, but it's feeding the problem underground then, isn't it? What you need is for people not to follow these kind of tokenistic things. The FA and the Premier League or the government to get these people, the ones that are in power, get them around the table, say, right, listen, this is the kind of process we need. This is what we need in order to help race relations. The CMFA where the chief executive had to resign because he referred to... Coloured people. That's exactly how you, you divide a nation, isn't it? Because when you heard that term, what did you think? He's like, oh, shit, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? You thought this, this man is leading the most powerful football association outside of FIFA, and he still thinks that using the term coloured is acceptable. Coloured is not an acceptable term to refer to a person of BAME background. There's other words for it. It's an outdated term. But people of colour you can use. Can you see how the two are distinguishable? If you're maybe if you're a person who's working a day-to-day job, but when you're the head of the English chef here... It's not one rule for him or one rule for uh, the common man. So if uh, Boris Johnson used the term, you know, coloured, you'd be all right with that as well, because the same rule should apply to him as well. Well, this is what I'm saying. It, it was harsh. He shouldn't have been sacked. If he used the term coloured, you'd be fine with that. You wouldn't expect him to uh, quit his post or anything like that. So if the prime minister of the country... You'd be okay with him using the term coloured. If he's referring to me as a coloured person, I would not have a problem with it. Because compared to some of the other things that you could say, now if Boris turned around and said, oh, uh, uh, Imi the Paki, uh, then fair enough. Then we'd have an issue. Then we'd have a discussion. Why is the Paki word wrong and you're saying coloured is okay, but Paki is wrong? But then where do you draw the line? What the argument is, is that the man was the chief executive of the Football Association. This is not jaw on the street. This is not someone who should know better but doesn't have to act better. This is a man who's in charge of the Football Association of England, the biggest football association in the world. Use, he didn't use the N-word. He realised what he did. He came out and apologised straight away and then he still you know, re- decided to resign. I think that was really harsh on him. Yeah, but just because he didn't you know, mean offence to me, it doesn't mean that there was no offence. The thing, though, in this day and age, you know, you could say hello to me and I could be offended. I wouldn't say hello to you. <laughs> I'm going to use an example to you, yeah. So when it comes to gender pronouns, uh, you, you might meet someone 
nowadays, because it's quite a recent movement, where you can still say, I'm unsure what the general pronoun is. You might use the wrong one, and it would not be as offensive as using the term colour 30 years after people have accepted that it, that term is no longer... You know, it's the flavour of the month, isn't it? It's the connotation of the world of the word, you know, coloured, yeah. It goes back to, obviously, you know, South Africa and apartheid, and it goes back to America. Distinction between a coloured person or a person of colour. Can somebody explain that to me? Society is saying that you can use the word person of a colour, but you can't use coloured person. Exactly, yeah. If that's a general rule in society, you're the chief executive of a big public organisation, like the F- Football Association, who has how many black players? in the national England national team and you still think that it's appropriate to use the word coloured, then you're out of touch. You're not you're not you're not right for that job. Anything else in relation to the Black Lives uh, you know movement that you want to talk about? I mean the last thing that we talked about when we did that specific podcast was uh how we wanted to see some real change. So I know it's only been a few months, but have we seen any changes? No. I think is the short answer to that one. I, I mean, again, you could say that because of the whole COVID and Brexit thing, and um, there's nothing that's come to the forefront. There's no real uh, policy that's been uh, addressed or, you know, they've not talked about anything like that. Even within, from my experience, working within a school, working with young people from different backgrounds, the number of students who have wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter, who have wanted to talk about what happened with George Floyd and about racism, I think... If it opens up discussions with people more so than we had previously, then it has had an impact. It may not have had an impact all the way through that we may not have had any legislation or any changes like that, but we're in weird times. I think everyone's being more concerned with COVID or in America what's happening with the election to have any change like that. But if it means people are talking about it, it's making people be more aware of the choice of language they use or what's going on in the world or how to even act with other people from other backgrounds to themselves, then it's had an impact. And isn't the biggest change, you could argue, the fact that Trump is no longer in office? Um, I know you can't say it's a direct result of BLM, but does that not um, indicate to us that people want to move to a different path, You know, especially in the US? Right, OK, listen, stop right there, all of you. I'm just going to say this right one time, and just so I can get it out of the way, I think I'm going to miss him. <laughs> giving you the shovel just dig this hole people have given him a lot of stick over the four years you're talking about mental torture and mental health and all the rest. that poor guy he's been shit on for the last four years and he's still come out fighting okay fair enough do you know what? i still I, I think i might just dispute the u.s election results as well everyone knew what was coming I remember watching CNN like, a couple of days before, and they, the man actually predicted exactly what was going to happen. He goes, there's going to be loads of postal votes, and they're going to go on to count this, and this is going to give Donald Trump the room to do what he wants to do, which is question the results of the election. What's really surprising is the fact that Biden did not... It wasn't a landslide. Do you understand? You know, like the landslide that they had over here uh, with Conservatives against Labour? There was nothing like that over there, and it was a lot closer than what people imagined. And that's a damning indictment of Biden. I don't think it's only just anymore, is it? I think it was only just in the initial time, but when they've taken all the electoral college vote, is it a lot more? It's a lot more convincing victory than Donald Trump had in two thousand sixteen. I, I gave up after about four days. I think if it's the start of the movement away from these hard men, kind of like 
people who've won the elections in America, in Russia, in India, even in England to a certain extent, this whole move to the right, if it's the beginning of the end of them, then I think it's a good thing. If there's looting, there's shooting. There you go. I think that sums him up, doesn't it? Come on, how can you how can you not miss that guy? <laughs> Let's maybe go on to something a bit uh, you know lighter than boys, yeah. So um what else has been some of your highlights over the last year? You know, something you know maybe not as um not as uh, you know heavy as uh, politics or COVID. What else has kind of caught your eye in the last year? What kind of stands out for you? Bill Bailey winning Strictly Come Dancing. Is, is he the uh, the the rocker? Not the rocker, but he's a comedian. But um, he looks like in the piano, is the keyboard. Yeah, because do you know something? I've never watched Strictly Come Dancing, but this year because there's nothing else to do, I've been watching it and I've weirdly gotten into it. And you thought he was a joke contestant. Doing like a fat bloke, I can't dance, but he actually turned out. I did this thing where um, I went and uh, rewatched Knight Rider, uh, bits of the A Team, uh, Airwolf. I, I just want to punch myself in the dick now. Because, yeah, but I mean, back in the days, these guys, I mean, these shows were amazing, and you've grown up with this idea in your mind that oh my god, such amazing shows, you love them, and now when I watch them, I think oh my god. I can't believe the shite that I was watching. They were up a certain time, were they, Amy? And it's best not to revisit, you know, some of those things, aren't they? What was the best uh, box set that you watched, Carver, or, uh, you know, rewatched? Uh, I rewatched The Wire, which is just, every time you watch it, it's more and more amazing. I need to watch that. I need to do a review on that one, actually. How long is it? Five series, so you're talking about 55, 56 episodes, but, do you know, yeah, I, have you ever seen The Sopranos? Do you know what? No. Can you believe that? Again, that's another one that I need to get into. You've not seen the best two TV series ever. Are you serious? Oh, have you seen Breaking Bad? I think it was a little bit overhyped for what people were saying. Oh, it's the best thing ever. It's not the best thing ever. I don't think it is, but um, it, it was good. The Wire and Sopranos are Liverpool and Man City, and Breaking Bad would be Aston Villa. thought you were going to say Arsenal then. Do you know I always had this thing about uh, doing the whole um, East to West uh, driving, you know, the Route 66. But the more you watch these gritty shows and the more that you see the areas, the bad neighbourhoods and the rest of it, you think to yourself, fuck that for a laugh. I'm not going there. We'll be okay, Mina. Just make sure that you have your MAGA hat on. What you need to do, doing that bit where you're talking about Black Lives Matter, just keep that on you. And whenever anyone comes towards you, just press play. What is your highlight in it, uh, Zaire? <sighs> It's hard not to talk about uh, Liverpool, isn't it? But I'm going to try my best not to. I think uh, going back to something you, know, you said, Carver, it was just the simple things that COVID and the lockdown brought home to you, yeah? And it was just about going out for a walk and reconnecting with nature. As um, I hate to use the word gay, but as gay as that sounds, those are the things that this has taught me, really. The things that we take for granted, we don't even think about. I mean, I live in an area... It's quite close to Darwin Tower and stuff, but I've never really been out and tried to get at one with nature. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I think uh, if anything's going to come out of it, it's to appreciate your surroundings a bit more and just to just to get out and kind of explore a little bit more and just be around your friends and your family, really. And uh, not to go and chase the dream and chase the money and whatever, because all of that thing can come to an end at any second, really. So it's just... Uh, 
It's just that, really, just to, you know, where we can... I do agree with going back to nature a bit, because I remember me and you watching Bob trying to find a bush to piss in. <laughs> <laughs> and then a whole family walking past whilst Bob was pissing in the bushes. That's, that's a personal highlight for them as well. So I guess, guys, a good place to finish would just be, you know, maybe I know it's kind of uh, on the hoop a little bit, but as we come to the end of the year, what's the one thing that you hope for next year or what's your uh, you know resolution for next year? Well, to hope for it, I guess it's just the same, uh, really, a peace, prosperity and good health, especially the good health for everybody. Uh, again, with the whole vaccine thing, we just pray that people get on board and um, it'll, the sooner people get on board, the sooner this whole nightmare will end. Um, that's it, really. Uh, I'd echo a lot of what Imi said, surprisingly enough. It's what they get the vaccine right and let's hope we get it out and let's hope that by next summer we're back to normality where we can meet people that actually shake hands and what you both said at uh, certain points of the podcast as well is for people to kind of not be totally taken in by their own confirmation bias isn't it things that you believe you kind of hold on to those beliefs really strongly and it's really hard for us to let go of those beliefs no matter what the truth is even if the truth is right there it's clear and, you know, scientific facts are there. Because we believe in something, we're kind of almost um, arrogant about it. We're so, we're so kind of stubborn uh, to not see uh, other people's points of view. So I think my hope would just be that, that we can always look kind of outwards. And, and if somebody has an argument that actually holds, uh, you know, water, not be scared and not to see as a sign of weakness, to say, okay, well, you know what? You raised some good points there, and I'm going to look into that a little bit further. I think we're all too quick just to say no, 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 because it doesn't enforce what we already believe. And on that deep, deep point, I think we'll leave it, guys, and hopefully we'll be able to get a lot more of these out as well. And sorry for the fact that it's been so long since we've uh, got you know one of these uh, podcasts out. You know, I know that people have been you know waiting for it. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to do a lot more of these in the future as well. Happy New Year, everybody, and hope uh, you all have a happy and healthy 2020. listening to Hava, Imi and Kazi on KitCast. Follow us on Twitter at kit underscore cast.